Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. Later this year, American voters are going to head to the polls for what we call here in the United States, the midterm elections. Maybe there's somebody in our audience out there who's listening, watching, and they've been praying about their involvement in the political system. Maybe they feel like that even they might even consider running for office or volunteering to serve in an election campaign or maybe making a donation to a, a candidate or a cause. But at the same time, they also recognize that it feels like that being involved in politics is, becomes an ethical landmine or minefield for believers. And, and sometimes, let's be honest, even voting is tough because it, it can feel like every candidate's flawed and they don't really represent my values. Considering all this, should Christians be involved in politics? And if so, to what extent should they be involved? The short answer is yes, but there are limits. And first of all, we need to understand that in, in ancient times, particularly the New Testament, that um, believers did not have the opportunity we have today. They lived under the Roman Empire, which is a dictatorship. They didn't have the right to vote. They couldn't participate. They couldn't help influ- uh, influence the laws. And so there is not a direct impar- comparison. You don't see in the New Testament some appeal to social action because, first of all, the focus is on the gospel, and second of all, it would be counterproductive. Even such things as slavery, which is obviously evil, and any fair reading of the New Testament would demonstrate slavery is contrary to God's will. And the book of Philemon, if you study it carefully, and I've written a little uh, a commentary called The Message of Colossians and Philemon, I argue that Paul was actually arguing that uh, this slave Onesimus should be set free. That it was contrary to the gospel. I use that as an illustration, but nevertheless, you don't have an appeal in the Bible. Let's take up arms or let's vote and outlaw slavery because that option wasn't available. And if they had tried to rebel, they would have been crushed and then the gospel would have been crushed. So right. it was counterproductive to do something they couldn't do, didn't have an opportunity. But that doesn't mean we should should uh, not take advantage of the opportunities we have. So if there's slavery in the world today, we should speak against it because we have the opportunity to do so. So I would argue that in our Western democracies, particularly we're talking about the U.S. and Canada, but it would apply anywhere else in the world, uh, that if we have an opportunity to influence our government, it's our right, and I would even argue our responsibility as good citizens. So we should, first of all, pray for our governmental leaders. The New Testament is very clear that we should. We should be good citizens. So we, we find this in Romans 13. We find this in 1 Peter, that we should pray for our government officials. We should cooperate with the laws of the land. In other words, be good citizens. Uh, but uh, we should stand against evil. And uh, Acts 5.29, we should obey God rather than men. So we're not going to succumb to evil and not going to cooperate with sinful activities. We're going to always do the will of God. So that indicates that if we have influence, we should influence our government in a right way. So definitely pray. I think definitely we should vote. And we can argue if we don't vote, we're neglecting our responsibilities. We're neglecting an opportunity uh, to do something about 
the problems that we see. And, you know, if God tells us to pray about something, if there's an opportunity to act, shouldn't we act to fulfill those prayers? It's like when the Lord says, pray that uh, God will send forth laborers to the harvest. I think kind of the unstated assumption is, well, you could help fulfill that prayer request. Once you start praying, you start realizing, you know what? I can be part of answering that prayer. So you're praying for the government. You're praying for justice. You're praying for righteousness. You ought to think, well, I can start fulfilling and be part of the answer. I can go vote. And that I think also could mean that we could get involved in political campaigns or even run for office, hold office. Well, you say, is that even possible? In the Old Testament, we find many examples of godly people who had places in secular pagan government, but they did not compromise their convictions. So Joseph, Esther, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're pagan names. So they even went by pagan names, but they stayed true to their scriptural convictions. In the New Testament, we have the Ethiopian eunuch who was a treasurer for the Ethiopian government, for the queen. That's a pretty high position. Also, in the city of Corinth, we see in Paul's epistles, there was Erastus who his title is variously translated, but he was the director of public works or the city treasurer. So he was a Christian in a high political office in a major city. Likewise, Cornelius was the captain of the Italian band. He was a centurion. So we do find people, even the New Testament, who are Christians who had governmental offices. So it's not wrong to hold an office. Obviously, you're going to have to be true to your convictions. Now, I think sometimes uh, Pentecostals have shied away from government. I think originally we felt like we were marginalized. We had no ability or influence, kind of like the New Testament. Right. But that's not really true. And then also we felt like the Lord was coming. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. But, I mean, while we're passing through um, the Old Testament, Psalm says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That was the capital city of, of the Israelites. It all, Jeremiah says, when you're in exile, pray for the peace of the city where you're located. So while you're there, pray, and by extension, be involved to make it the best you can. So I do believe there are some principles here uh, that we can and should be involved. And, and some people will feel called or led to work in city government or to work in political campaigns. Now, I would say that as the church we should stand above political parties. In other words, we're trying to win souls. So we don't want to say or do anything that either states or implies you have to belong to a certain political party to be a member of our church, or you have to vote for a certain candidate to be a member of our church. We want Republicans, Democrats, independents, everybody to come. Now, maybe their ideas will be changed as they become a disciple, but we don't want to create barriers. And in our discussion on social media, we have a right to give our opinions, but we should also think, what is our responsibility as Christians? We're trying to win souls. We're trying to extend influence. So maybe we should moderate our views so even people that don't agree with us won't feel like they're kicked out or they're ostracized, but they feel like we could agree to disagree, but when it comes to the gospel, we could respond to the gospel. So I think we want to be careful there. And of course, under U.S. law, um, a church is not supposed to be involved directly in a political campaign, although some, especially on the liberal side, seem to violate that. Nevertheless, I think we should be law-abiding. Um, 
And But the primary reason is not to preserve our tax-exempt status, although that is a factor. The primary reason is because we want to position ourselves for all people, to win all to the gospel. And then, as we preach and teach on moral values and our responsibility as citizens, we can expect probably people's voting patterns may well change. But that's not our main goal. Our main goal is to disciple them. Uh, to be followers of Jesus Christ. So as the United Pentecostal Church International, obviously we're not going to promote a political campaign. We're not going to promote a party or a candidate. We are going to speak on moral issues when it's feel it's important. So we're going to speak pro-life against abortion. We're going to speak um, for religious freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of separation of church and state in the sense that the church I mean, the state should not try to intrude and control the church, although we do feel like the church should be able to have a voice. Um, but so, but we do also have the NACLC, which is an endorsed organization of the UPCI and other apostolic organizations are participating, the National Apostolic Christian Leadership Conference. And that's the avenue we have the Alliance which is a, a group of people organized, not as a church, but for policies that we agree on. And the Action Network is where we talk to state legislators and government officials for policies and laws that we believe uh, will defend religious freedom, particularly. So if you're interested in that, I do believe there's a legitimate way for political involvement. It's the NACLC.org. And you can go there and sign up as a local church uh, or as an individual. And uh, the church can sign up to get benefits. You automatically get benefits of the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a conservative uh, Christian legal association that focuses on defending religious freedoms in our secular culture. So I do believe there's some legitimate ways that we can be involved in the process, but I think at the end, the church does need to maintain an independent voice. Because here's some of the problems with politics. Um, you know, most politicians are not going to reflect our values in every dimension and even in their personal lives. So, you know, we're, there may be a politician who's committed adultery or who's committed fornication or has divorced his first wife, married a second wife without biblical justification. So to us, those are sins. But if you had to, if you could only support politicians who didn't live in sin, well, that's going to eliminate every politician. Uh, and likewise, there are going to be politicians that might have 10 positions. We agree with eight of them. We don't disagree with two of them. Well, it would depend on the position, obviously. But, you know, as a voter, we have to decide which one is going to do the best job uh, of you know, protecting our religious freedom, defending our nation, uh, fulfilling laws, pro uh, promoting economic, uh, economic opportunity. And so we may have to choose someone we like better than the other, or in some cases it might be the lesser of two evils, and we're even reluctant to vote at all. But if we don't vote, that's a choice in itself. So even not voting is a political choice. So I would urge, even if it's the lesser of two evils, I would rather still have influence than not. And if it's a politician where we don't agree with all the policies, but if we agree with most of them or more of them, I would still make that choice. But we do have to understand that we live in a pluralistic society and we don't live in a theocracy. 
It's not practical or advisable to try to enforce divine law on every aspect of society. So there are some aspects of divine law, like the law against murder. Yes, the society agrees. But the law against fornication, society does not agree. So I think it'd be mistaken to try to force that on a society that doesn't agree. We just have to agree to disagree. So I said all that to say that's why the church is separate. So where we can agree in supporting certain laws, we do. But where we're in a pluralistic society that's not realistic or even the politicians that we prefer aren't going to follow it, well, that's why we're the church. And so we're going to preach against fornication even if all the political parties say it's okay, even if our recommended choice for a certain office is practicing fornication. We don't agree with that, but we can say, well, that's why we're the church. That's why we're independent. So we we keep a voice independent so we can say, I agree with these policies, but I disagree with what this politician has done, or I disagree with what they've said. So I don't feel like I have to defend every action or every statement of a certain politician in order to vote for them. That's why the church says, well, I disagree. You know, I'm not going to go along with that. We don't agree with that statement or that speech or that action or that vote, but we still advise you to be part of the process and vote for people that will do the best job under the circumstances of our society. I I do believe uh, we should be involved. At the end of the day, of course, our ultimate trust is not in politicians or laws or society. Our ultimate trust is always going to be in the Lord and in the gospel. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share apostolic life in the 21st century with a friend or family member. Finally, join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.